Well, we do today launch a brand new series called Exiles, based on 1 Peter. And I want to set the series up uh, today, giving us some context in various ways. Uh, so first of all, it's called 1 Peter. Did anyone want to take a guess who wrote it? Paul, right? Paul? No. <laughs> so Peter writes this letter, but, but here's the deal. I think Peter sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, I mean, for example, when we think about Peter and we ask the question, what's his profession? Does anybody know what's his profession? Fisherman, right? He's a fisherman. And so a lot of times that bad rap, people are like, okay, he's a fisherman. And so the common description of Peter is, oh, he was just a, a, you know, a dumb, uneducated fisherman. And that's kind of the common misperception. Because the reality is just because somebody isn't formally educated doesn't mean that they're actually not a sharp person, right? I think about my, my, my father-in-law, Heather's dad, and I think about my dad who were not formally educated, but they were some of the sharpest people I know. I think there's people here today that you weren't necessarily formally educated, but you are a sharp individual. In fact, Peter was a businessman. And, and, and one of the things that's very interesting about Peter is that he was wealth, a wealthy businessman. Now, why do I say that? Because he owned a boat. To which some of you say, well, he's a fisherman. Of course he owned a boat. No. Back then in the Galilee region, uh, wood was scarce. And so to get wood into the Galilee region, you had to import the wood. Very few fishermen actually had boats. The majority of fishermen actually just had their nets and they would walk out into the, the shallows and they would fish by throwing their nets in the shallows. It was only those who could afford or had enough money to be able to buy a boat that they could pursue fishing in that way. And so Peter was a, was a wealthy f fisherman. In fact, the Bible tells us that Peter's family actually had people working for him. So he wasn't some poor, uneducated, you know, loser, so to speak, from Galilee. He was a wealthy businessman. He was a tremendous leader. He was passionate. He was bold. And actually, in his writings in 1 Peter, he deals with incredibly heavy and weighty theological issues. Things like sanctification and foreknowledge and revelation and divine election and the Trinity and the blood of Christ. They're all heavy topics. But the big theme that we're going to see over and over and over again in 1 Peter is that he tells us that Christians are exiles. That Christians are exiles. And as exiles, we are called to be distinct. We are called to be different from other people in the world. Now to fully understand, or more fully understand, what's happening here with what we're going to look at this morning, uh, we need to understand uh, some details about the context that Peter writes this. He writes in a time, it's about between 60 and 65 AD when he writes, during the reign of an evil and corrupt Caesar, some of you might have heard of him before, it was Caesar Nero. Raise your hand if you've heard of Nero before. And a lot of you've heard of him and you're like, okay, I, I don't know a lot about him, but I don't think he was a good dude. He, he really wasn't. He, he, he was a guy who killed his mother. He was a guy who killed his first wife. Historians believe he most likely killed his second wife. He was so twisted that historians tell us that he burned down Rome in July of 64 AD. And the historians believe that the reason he did that was because he had this insatiable lust to build and to build. But the Senate wouldn't let him build anything more. And so he decided, I know, I'll just 
I'll just destroy our city. I'll burn down our city, so we'll have to rebuild that. And that's what he decided to do. Well, Nero, like so many others during that time period, hated Jesus followers. And he came up with this idea, I'm going to burn Rome, and I'm going to blame the Christians on the burning of Rome, and I'm sure people will go with it because they already have a bent towards not liking them. Well, that's what he did. He blamed them. So this already persecuted group was persecuted even more in the season in which Peter is writing this letter. In Nero's hatred towards Jesus' followers, he did some things that maybe you've heard of before. He would take animal skins, and he would put those on the Christians. He would lock them into cages, and then he would unleash wild dogs upon them as he watched these Christians get mauled and killed. He would dip Christians in hot wax or, or even oil, tie them up to poles where they would burn and light the night sky as he held his giant parties. This is the context when we get ready to read what we're going to read today in 1 Peter. Now, I do have to tell you, in all truthfulness, uh, 1 Peter, is at this, today's message is really only for two groups of people today. It's only for two groups of people. The first group is, uh, that this message today is for is for anybody here this morning who's hurting. If you're hurting here this morning because maybe, for example, you might have some unanswered questions to something that's having a major impact in your life right now, and you're just kind of struggling and hurting over that, you might be going through a trial this morning. You might be going through something incredibly difficult today. Maybe for some of you it's a financial a circumstance or situation. Maybe it's a job loss. For some of you, maybe you're going through something, uh, you know, health-wise, and it's just a terrible situation. For some of you, maybe there's a tension in a very important relationship you're in, and you're struggling with it. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're going through something, and circumstances are bad, but the reality is inside that the emotional trial is way bigger, and it's way severe, more severe even than the physical trial. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through something because there's an addiction of some sort. If you're going through a difficult time, today's message is for you. Today's message is also for only for one other group of people. It's for anyone who will go through a trial someday. In other words, I, th I think I pretty much covered everybody, right? Did we cover everybody today? In fact, you've heard it said you're either coming out of a trial you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going into a trial. Have you realized that in your own life? That's just kind of how it works. Why? Because life is difficult, and life is hard. So no matter what you're going through today, we want to hear from God. We want to hear from Him in a way that He would really speak to each of our hearts. So let's dive in. Let's check it out. First Peter chapter 1. We'll start in the very first verse today. And as is always the case when I speak, I like to have us share together a little bit, and so you're going to be saying some words with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 starts like this. It says, this is a letter from Paul. No, kidding. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as what? Who are living as foreigners. And then he lists these provinces, Roman provinces in what is now modern-day Turkey. Now, that Greek word for foreigners is translated a couple different ways depending on the Bible you have. It's translated as sojourners or aliens or strangers or our word exiles. 
And the New Testament writers, they all want us to understand and remember that once you and I enter the family of God, you actually have a new home. Earth, this place is no longer our home. You know, I was thinking about that this week as I was on the trip with the students. And we were sitting there one night, and, and our campsite is down below, but there's all these rocks, and so we were on the rocks up above, and we were just sitting there, you know, we were just lamping, we were just chilling, and as we were sitting there, I was looking up, and it was incredible, and I want to show you what we were looking at. This isn't, at, this isn't a Google photo, this is Cam took this photo, and this is what we were sitting there looking at, and I was just thinking about this message that this earth is not our home, and, and this world, this galaxy, this universe is so big and so grand that this place, this, it, 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 this isn't our home. This isn't our home, and God tells us because this earth is not our home, it means that we're going to look different than the world. We're not going to look like the rest of the world. We're going to be different, and we're going to live different. And as followers of Christ, what does that actually mean to be different and to live different? It means we're going to have different values than those around us. It means we're going to have different morals than those around us. It means we're going to have a different belief system than everybody else around us. And our difference is because we live a certain way. We live according to what God's word has to say for us and how to live our lives. So for you and I, as, as, as exiles, as sojourners, as Jesus followers, with God's word guiding us, it means we're going to be distinct and different as a, as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, especially in the way that we raise our kids. We're going to be different than the world because we look at God's word and says, what does God's word about say about being a spouse, about being a husband or being a wife? And we're going to be different in the way that we relate to other people in the world. We're going to be different in the way that we handle circumstances or situations when someone mistreats us. A couple weeks ago, uh, our family had an opportunity to uh, get away for a vacation for a week. And uh, we, we went to Monterey. Now, we had rented a, a VRBO place, a VRBO, Airbnb. Raise your hand if you've heard of that. Okay, most of you have, some of you haven't, but, but most of you have. And so we had rented this house. Now, I'm going to tell you the story about what happened in a couple weeks. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will not want to miss it. But let me just tell you today to tease that a little bit. We did not enter the house. We did not end up going into the house. And in fact, we asked for a full refund. We were absolutely mistreated in what occurred. And in my dealings with VRBO and my dealings with the owner as we're driving out there trying to send emails and calls and text, I was mindful that as an exile, I've called to be different in the way I treat people and handle people who have mistreated me. Because I know what was going inside, on inside of me as we were driving out there, knowing we weren't going to enter into that place and not knowing what we were going to do when we got there. And knowing it's a busy week and in Pacific Grove they had the Festival of Lights or whatever it was called going on and we're going to have to try to find a place. I'm driving out there going, how do I handle this situation with those who have mistreated me? Again, I'll tell you in a couple weeks about kind of how it plays out. Suffice to say for today, at the moment, the trip has cost us double and a couple weeks will buy me more time to finish the story off with you. 
and find out what more what happens. But I was very mindful of how I handled that situation as a Jesus follower. You'll be different in the way you invest your money and what you do with your money and the way you spend your money as a Jesus follower. You'll be different in the way you invest and spend your time. Why? Because the world is not our home. As an exile, we're called to be different and distinct from those around us. And if you're here this morning and if you're in the middle of a trial or you will be going through a trial one day, because this world is not your home, because you are an exile, you can have a different kind of faith when you go through something that's incredibly difficult. In other words, we can have a different faith in our trials. Now remember who Peter's writing to. Remember the context as we look at verse 6 and 7 in chapter 1. It actually appears shocking what he says next. Notice what he says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says this, So, be truly what? Be truly glad. Why? He says, because there is wonderful joy when? There is wonderful joy ahead. Well, that's a bummer. Not now? The joy's ahead later? What's going on right now? Because, I mean, I get that. I should be glad because there's joy ahead, not now. Well, what am I going through now? Even though you must endure many, here's our word, you must endure many trials for a little while. That kind of stinks. And it tells us that God may not take away our trials, but you can be here this morning and know that there is joy ahead. And then he's going to show us that these trials, and here's one of the reasons we can have joy, is because these trials have a purpose. Look at verse 7. These trials will show, and I want everybody to say this word together. These trials will show that your faith is what? And I want every person in this room, please, to say this. These trials will show that your faith is what? That your tr faith is genuine, authentic, real. And, and I start to think about that. So if there's a genuine faith, then, then that means there must also be something else that's not genuine, that's, that, that's not real, that's, that's a false faith, right? You can have a genuine faith, and it means it's possible to have a false faith. And one of my great fears is that there are many people who believe that they are Christians, but their faith may not be real. It may not be genuine. Maybe, perhaps, there might be some of us who have a false faith. And it's actually trials that can help reveal that. For example, a false faith can be a couple different things. A false faith can be an inherited faith. That's something that's just passed on to you from your parents or, or your grandparents or, or, or your spouse even. Here at LifePoint, we're getting ready to send off a whole bunch of our, our seniors or, or, or college freshmen. It's August, so they're getting ready to go back in the next couple weeks. And it's often the case with those who head off to college, when young people go off, they're going to go through a lot of challenges and trials and difficulties. Isn't that correct? And, and one of the things they're going to do is they're going to get on the phone and they're going to call you. And when they call you, they're only calling you for one reason. They what? They want money. <laughs> they are not calling you to tell you they love you. Because all of a sudden they realize, oh man, I, I need more money to do what I want to do. And it's in all those challenges and trials and difficulties that the college students go through when they get, head off to college 
It's in that season that they find out if they truly have a genuine faith or if it had simply been an inherited faith. When you go through trials, you find out, is your faith real, genuine? Or is it just something that had been passed along to you by parents, grandparents, or even your spouse? So what about you? What do you think? Do you have a real faith? A genuine faith? Or you hear this and go, man, I, I never thought about it. Maybe it is just an inherited faith. An inherited faith is a great place to start, but is that all it is? Because your trials will reveal if that's all it is. Second, a false faith can actually also be a shallow faith. Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 4. And he tells this parable and he says that there's this farmer and he goes out and he plants some seed. And some of the seed uh, falls on the ground and it takes root and then it grows up quickly. And it's sprung up and Jesus even tells us that there's joy in in this situation because he's using the seed to describe us. And he says, but the, root didn't, the roots didn't grow deep. They were shallow. And Jesus said this, even though he interpreted, he said, even though there is joy, when the tough times came for us, when the difficulties came, when the trials came, the trouble, he even uses this word persecution, that joy turns into sorrow. And he says, that person falls away. I got to tell you, as a, especially as a pastor, this just kills me because I see it all the time. People come to faith and they have this initial joy and they're excited and everything seems great, but then it happens. The circumstances overwhelm them and they don't turn to God. Instead, they run from God. Why? Because the circumstances got the best of them because they hadn't dug deep in their faith. It's the shallow faith principle that leads us here at LifePoint. It's one of the biggest reasons that we talk about why it's so important to get plugged in and connected with other believers, to get involved in in home groups, life groups, small groups. It's why we push those groups so much. And so I just want to say it again for those who've heard it before or for some of you the first time. Each of us needs to be in a community of people that we a community of believers that we do life together with because that's what helps our roots grow deeper some of you say well i know we talk about it a lot and, and pastor i've tried that and every time i try it it seems like there's just some weird people in the groups and and, and i'll tell you guess what there are there's always one weird person in a group. It's just a small group principle. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, I've been in groups and there's never been a weird person in my group. And that's the only person not laughing right now. Man, you're gonna deal with weird people. But that's part of the journey. People not like you. That the only thing that brings you together is because you are in Jesus Christ where there's no Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. God breaks all that down and starts to teach us in that group. God, in that group, we learn how to forgive people who maybe hurt us. We learn how to deal with things that we're not on our own comfortable with dealing with. It moves us out of self and moves us into others. And so you get into this community, this group of people 
and you study God's Word together and you pray together. And then it happens because you're caring for one another and one person starts to stray and everybody else is like, no, 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 get back here, get back here. We're not losing you. We're in this together. Our roots are growing deep together. We're going to get through this trial together. That's why we need each other. In fact, there's somebody who needs to hear this right now. Because this is where you're at. And you're here this morning, but you're just kind of here. And you're, and you're partic- attending, but you're just kind of attending. And I want to encourage you that maybe for you, this is your step to take forward because you need to take a step forward before your enemy takes you out. Your enemy, the devil, he is out there and he's trying to take you out. And I don't want to see you six months from now, a year from now, two years from now when you needed God's help and God's strength through others, you needed that, but you decided to go at your faith alone. And so he takes you out. And it turns out that your faith, it was this shallow faith that had no roots. Listen, church is not listening to a podcast. These last couple of weeks, I got to listen to Pastor Derek and Pastor Grant deliver amazing messages, and they really were. But that isn't church. And I was by myself. I was disconnected. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ that does what we're doing today. We gather corporately. We celebrate God together. That's what God's called us to do. And we also gather in smaller groups where we then take everything that God's doing in our life and what he's done with us corporately and we talk about it and we discuss it and we connect together and we grow our roots deep together. You can't do Christianity alone. The devil, the enemy, our enemy will take us out. So for you, what step do you need to take? Pastor Grant last week talked about spiritual disciplines. And maybe for some of you, those are some of those steps you have to take for the roots to grow deep. I'm not going to rehash those. For some of you, your step, I know your step, is getting connected with others to help your roots grow deeper so that there is no shallow faith, so that when the trials come, you get to prove that your faith is genuine. There's a third type of false faith, and that's a conditional faith. It's those, it's that type of faith that says, yeah, I believe in God as long as things go my way. No one ever says that out loud. But it's essentially a contract with God that says, again, people don't say this out loud, but it says, I will, God, if you will. I will if you will. I'll hang in there. I'll follow. I'll do this. I'll be this. I'll get involved. I'll get plugged in. I'll do all that if you will. And then we each have a different if you will list that we expect of God. That's a conditional faith. And maybe for some of us, that's where we're at today. But I believe no matter where you're at in this journey and, and asking ourselves, do it, is it possible I have a false faith? I believe God brought us here to change us today, to change a false, uh, false faith into a genuine faith. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. You see, God uses the trials to reveal our faith, thus showing if it's false or real. Maybe you've heard the saying, a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. And in fact, it was Peter himself, as he writes all of this, it was Peter himself who had been tested. 
And some of us know some of the stories of Peter, and he actually failed and faltered a little bit. But in the end, the trials ultimately revealed that he actually had a genuine faith. Uh, some 30 years prior to writing 1 Peter, Jesus had a conversation with him and the others in Luke chapter 22, and he said, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you, Pete. He wants to take you out. It's a huge mistake for any of us to ever think that we don't have an enemy who's, who isn't constantly trying to take us out. That's his goal, constantly coming after us. Verse 32, Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon Peter, that your faith should not fail. In other words, the trials are going to reveal your faith. And so Peter, look what he then says, So Peter, when you have repented and turned to me again. <laughs> in other words, Peter, I already know you're not going to get it all right. I already know that. But when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. See, God used Peter's trials to strengthen him and ultimately to transform him. Now, what was one of the biggest trials for Peter? Uh, if you've been in church before or you've read the Bible before, you might know the story. Some of you may not know the story, but, but it was a time when, when in, in, in the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, it's the most famous story with Peter and Jesus. And B Jesus told his disciples, hey, you guys are all going to abandon me tonight. You're going to bail out on me. And Peter, always good, you know, for an emotional reaction, you know, Peter's like, hey, John, the rest of those losers, they may bail on you, not me. I'm sticking with you. I'll stay right by your side. You can count on me. You can trust me. Do you know the story? Not one, that very night, not one time, not twice, but three times. G Peter denied even knowing Jesus or who he was. And it was after the third denial in Luke chapter 22, and the Bible tells us in that passage, the third time Jesus says, or Peter said, I don't even know this guy who you're talking about, which he's saying to a little girl, by the way, the most unintimidating person that he could have said it to. He says, I don't even know this Jesus who you're talking about. And the Bible tells us, because Jesus and, and Peter at that moment were in somewhat cr close proximity, the Bible tells us that their eyes met. And in that moment, Peter's heart sank, and he realized what he had done. He realized, man, I blew it. His heart was ripped out. He felt so ashamed. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus then went to the cross to die for Peter's sins and misgivings and misfortunes and mistakes. And he died for our sins. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and so then after that, a few days later, John chapter 21, you get this incredible encounter between Jesus, the risen Jesus, and Peter. And Jesus asked Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? In other words, I know you've gone through a tough trial, but I'm wanting to know something. Is your faith real? Is your faith genuine? Do you love me? Even asked it of him three different times. Peter responded three different times. Yes, 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 I love you. And then Jesus said this, then I want you to go feed my sheep. A couple weeks later after that situation, here's somebody who went through a trial. God used it to strengthen Peter. It, was, it, it used it to strengthen him. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people at the temple. 
and he shares all about Jesus and who he is and how he died for their sins. And if you, give, if you surrender your life to Jesus and say, Jesus will be my Lord and Savior, you can, have, you can be set free, you can have eternal life. And, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people that day responded positively to that message. 3,000 people believed the message, got baptized, and became the first batch of exiles into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. What happened? God used those trials to strengthen Peter and to reveal that it was actually a genuine faith. And that's what can happen to you. Trials can reveal if you have a real and genuine faith. That's why James, Jesus' brother, even said this. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Consider it pure. Here's that word again, by the way. Consider it pure what? Pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face, there's our word, trials of many kinds. If you're in a trial, he says, I want you to count it as joy. Why? Verse 3, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be a couple things. You may be, what are the two words? You may be, first of all, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, God is going to use those troubles, those difficulties, those trials you're going through. And if you're here this morning, if you're racked with pain, I hope you will understand what Pastor Rick Warren said to his church. After the death by suicide of his son, Matthew, Rick Warren stood in front of his church and he said this. He said, don't waste your pain. Let God heal it, recycle it, and utilize it, and use it to bless other people. God is with you in your pain. And he wants to use that to strengthen you, to strengthen your faith, to be a blessing even to others. Why? Because the second thing is that God will use those trials that you're going through to strengthen you, but also to draw you closer to him. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, I love what it says here. It says, you love him even though you've never seen him. That's that faith part. And though you do not see him, here's a key word. Though you do not see him, let's say it together. Though you do not see him, you what? You trust. Now watch this. Remember who he's talking to. This is a dark time for these individuals. Some of them are even losing their lives. They're suffering greatly. He says, he says you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. See, that's a joy that comes to you and I that only comes from heaven. It's a joy that comes to us that we don't even have words in our human vocabulary to adequately describe this emotion that settles our soul, that calms our mind, that gives us a peace beyond our human ability to understand. So if you're here this morning, you're grieving, or you're hurting, or you're afraid, you're here this morning, and for you, it's a dark time. And even though you may not get the answers you want, you may not get any answer. Those with a genuine faith, Peter says, they have an inexpressible, glorious joy. And then he says, verse 9, the reward for trusting in him will be the salvation of your souls. So I'm just hoping you'll understand the good news is not that God's going to rescue you from your trials. The good news is that he's going to rescue you and save you from your sins. That's the real good news. God never said, I'm going to deliver you from all your troubles and trials. You will have physical pain. 
Amen for some of you? Oh, yeah, I got that. He never said you won't have financial difficulties. Some of you are like, yeah, I got that. He never said you won't have that person at work that always drives you crazy. You're like, yep, got that one. But none of that should shake a genuine faith. God never promised a pain-free life. He promised the opposite, actually, in John 16, when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's the good news. Take heart, Jesus said, because I overcame it. I overcame the world. But I get it. I get it. I do. I, I really do. I understand that suffering never asks you if you're ready. I understand it doesn't ever ask us for permission. It never cares about convenience. See, there's never a good time in life to be wrecked, is there? You never have, you know, you know okay, God, I, I'm ready now for, as the, the children's book says, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I'm never ready for that. Overwhelming and inconvenient suffering will come our way. Why? We live in a broken and fallen world, but God wants to use that to draw us closer to Him. To recognize we don't have what it takes to get through it, but God does. In fact, that's what the psalmist said, and it's a question that I want us to begin to think about as we wrap it up. The psalmist in 121, or Psalm 121 said this, where does my help come from? So I'm asking you this morning, where's your help come from? You have a choice of where you turn. The psalmist just from his gut, from his bones down deep, said, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Go back to that picture, Steve, if you will, that Cameron took of, the, of our galaxy. You know, the song talks about, the psalm talks about, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The one who made all that and so much more. Where are you going to turn? You want to turn to some self-help book? Or turn to that? You want to turn to some friend who's going to give you advice that's not biblical? Or you want to turn to the one who made the heavens and the earth? You have a choice. And God is inviting you this morning to turn to Him. And He will strengthen you. And He will give you an inexpressible and glorious joy. Thus, you being able to prove that you have a genuine faith. Even though you stumble. Even though you fall. Because you know where your help comes from. The one who made the heavens and the earth. Will you bow your heads with me?